We've got dead air in 15 seconds. Great. Okay, I'll go get Bulldog. You, take over the show. Me? A sports show? You're the only one here. Okay, uh, sports enthusiasts, this is Dr. Fraser Crane filling in for Bob Bulldog Briscoe. You're on the air. This is Mike. So what's your take on the damn Yankees this season? Are you speaking of the, the frothy musical adaptation of the Faustine Mitch or, or the, the baseball team, of which I know nothing? What a weenie. Doesn't that make me bad? But he brings up a good point. You see, while I'm on the air, please feel free to call in about anything other than sports. Please. Good morning, and welcome to episode 284 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I am Ben Lindbergh, joined by Sam Miller. It's Wednesday. Howdy. Hello. It's Wednesday, so it's the listener email show. Uh, Sam has has picked out some emails, or will be picking some out as we go. I just wanted to start with one that related to our topic from yesterday, or my topic from yesterday. This is from Luis, uh, and he's emailing about the topic of uh, advanced scouting in the upper minors, which I made the case yesterday that teams should invest more in in advanced scouting in the upper minors because it will both prepare their prospects for the major leagues and the access to data that they have once they make it to the majors, and it theoretically would help them perform better, which would make them more attractive as prospects. so Luis writes, hi guys, just a quick thought on today's topic. While I agree somewhat with Sam in that I'm not sure it would make that much of a difference, it certainly couldn't hurt. Not all major leaguers might like to use a lot of report data and some rely on it more heavily. So while having reports available might make zero difference to the former, it might help the latter more drastically. It may lead to more mature approaches for some individuals. My point, though, is that having more extensive reports on minor leaguers might help major league teams when those minor leaguers come up. The scouting reports might not be as useful as reports compiled against major league opponents, but I'm sure they'd be better than who's this, some rookie, pitch him inside. Do you think there's something to this? Could this force rookies to adjust faster than usual? without them getting one or two runs through the league before there's a book out on him. Uh, so this is an interesting point that didn't really even occur to me while we were talking about it. Um, of course, there are scouting reports on players that teams have access to, and, and pro scouts are, are, are always looking at players and assessing their abilities. It's just not quite the same as advanced scouting where you're actually trying to come up with ways to get them out and to pitch them. It's more, you know, what their abilities are and what their abilities will be. So it's a different sort of scouting, and maybe it would be useful to a major league team to have some some amount of advanced scouting already done when a, when a rookie opponent shows up. I don't buy it. <laughs> uh, just I don't buy it because, well, I mean, look, when you... First off, you, to uh, I mean, you're you're talking about having an extra scout doing this. You're not talking about having the regular pro scouts who are out there scouting minor leaguers right. do this. Right. I, so you're you're having to hire another scout to do this, mm-hmm. and it's just really inefficient when you think about what advanced scouts do. If if you're advanced scouting the Red Sox because you're playing the Red Sox, you go out a week before you play them, or maybe two weeks before you play them, and you watch the entire team. For a couple of days, and you you get to see the entire team. I mean, you not maybe not the entire team, but basically the entire team. 
uh, all in one shot. Whereas with this, you're talking about you know maybe advanced scouting um, teams where maybe five of those guys are going to face you at some point, and and who knows when. Um, even if you limited it to AAA, it's still really inefficient and an inefficient way to advance scout. And I just don't know that there's really that much benefit to it. I mean, unless you're the first team that plays the guy who's being called up, mm-hmm. uh, you're going to be able to scout, to scout him in the majors. And even if you're the second team that plays him, you're still going to at least be able to look at tape and see what he does. And the odds are that if you're the first guy to see him, that you're not going to be um, that he's not going to have a full-time role right away unless he's a super prospect who's being brought up to play full-time immediately, in which case you probably have pretty good scouting reports on what his strengths are and what you know maybe even what his tendencies are. Um, so it just feels to me like, I mean, I know that the answer to all of these things is always, yeah, well, you know, a win is so valuable and the investment would <laughs> be so cheap. Why not just do everything? If one win but, is $5 million, then yeah, exactly. this is worth but, one run. It's worth it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And to me, this feels like a little bit of a stretch uh-huh. to get there. So I do think somebody pointed out that, um, somebody else wrote in and said, uh, you know, some, I don't know, something about how there's really no value in winning in the minors, and and I don't think you were saying that there was. That's not why you were suggesting that they have advanced scouts. But uh, it is actually an interesting point. I, there are organizations that do value winning in the minors. Not yeah. uh, not all organizations do, but some do. They they want to have winning teams from short season ball on up, so that the players become accustomed to winning and think of the game as being about winning. Mm-hmm. And so, in fact, it might actually be, to some organizational philosophies, it, it would actually be valuable mm-hmm. uh, if it helped you win those sort of games that we consider meaningless. But, and it could help you keep affiliates, maybe, if your your minor league teams are winning and you have an affiliate that's close to your major league team and you, you want to strengthen that relationship. It always helps to have a winning team down there and uh, players performing well. So that's... All right. Put all of these things together, and I say it's it's worth worth investing a little bit into. And I say it's not. <laughs> all right. So uh, Richard says, uh, should the Yankees overwork Mariano Rivera in the stretch run, assuming that he's retiring at the end of the season? Goodness gracious! I hope we are assuming that. That would be this would be like Jimmy Kimmel's greatest hoax yet. <laughs> well, there was there was some talk recently that Girardi was going to talk to him and try to talk him out of it. Ah, okay. Well, since they know he won't be playing baseball next year, they have no fear of doing long-term damage to his arm as they trot him out night after night through September, potentially the postseason. What do you think? Uh, sure, if if the only risk is long-term damage, but if the risk is short-term ineffectiveness also, then it could backfire. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know that he can can do that physically. I don't, I don't know whether it's... Clearly, they have managed his workload much more in the last several years trying to, to keep him healthy throughout the season. And uh, I don't know. Even 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 looking at it on a, a short-term basis, I don't know that he can go to innings regularly. He hasn't... He did that uh, recently, or Girardi tried to do that with him. What was it? Like, it was one of the Boston games this past weekend. And yeah, he came in in the eighth Sunday. Yeah. Sunday. Yeah. And he, he gave up a home run in the ninth and, and blew a save. And that was the game that the Yankees won on a wild pitch or something. Um, so, and that was like the first time he had had a two inning save opportunity 
like in the playoffs, even in three years or something, and in the regular season, I think since, I don't even remember what it was, 2006 or something that surprised me. Um, so I don't know that he physically can do that now. I don't, I don't even know whether it's just his long-term health that you take into consideration. It's would, would he even be Mariano Rivera if he's being asked to, to pitch that much? Yeah, I think in the Venn diagram, there's probably a big overlap between the things that make you ineffective circle and the things that risk your long-term health uh-huh. circle. Like that, that's probably a lot of overlap, but not entirely. And mm-hmm. I would say that, presuming he's sort of consents to this, and I assume he would. Uh, yeah, I think he certainly would probably feel a lot less guilt about it. I mean, I, I a couple of years ago, I was playing soccer and um, like I broke my toe or something. Like a guy kicked my foot as I was kicking and, uh, you know, it hurt my toe really bad. And I went to the doctor and the doctor was just like, yeah, you're like a grown up. You're just going to like, it'll just hurt for the rest of your life. What do I care? You know, like mm-hmm. it, when you're not a professional athlete, uh, your body doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> and, uh, so she just, you know, basically sent me on my way <laughs> and, uh, my toe still hurts every once in a while. Um, but, yeah, I mean, when you're if, if once he's retired, I mean, what things that we think of as being really serious and like big deals, and you know, like oh my gosh, we're like like you were almost crying when Matt Harvey hurt his elbow <laughs> that that one night. Uh-huh. Uh, take away the baseball uh, playing aspect of it, and it becomes like extremely low stakes. Mm-hmm. And Mariano Rivera will never know uh, that he has. I, I don't think that he that he has a bad elbow if he gets a bad elbow in you know in a couple years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't think, at least. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, it's possible that they are doing that a little bit, too. I mean, yeah. the two-inning save mm-hmm. might not have been a coincidence. I, th- I think it was a four-out save he had tonight. Yeah, um, Robertson may have been unavailable that day or something. He was... He was yeah, he was. So that, he was. that's part of it. So, yeah, if, if I mean, if you don't have your, your eighth-inning guy who's just as good as Rivera at this point, then, sure, try, try Rivera. Maybe better than the... Moving the seventh and the guide to the eighth or whatever. Yeah. All right. Uh, these two questions are somewhat related. Uh, Jeff asks, uh, "Oh, geez, I forgot my answer. <laughs> Dang it! I don't remember my answer. I had an answer and now I don't remember it. This is a bummer." Uh, Jeff asks, uh, "What is your favorite instance of a seldom used rule being applied?" Uh, this came to mind after he read about the. Uh, do you saw the minor leaguer who got the one pitch strikeout? Yeah. Because the the batter was stepping out of the box and arguing, so the umpire just assigned him strikes. Mm-hmm. So that's what brought it to mind. So that's what Jeff asked. And then uh, Chris asks, uh, gentlemen, is it illegal to throw a glove at a ball? Uh, so I will first answer that one. Mm. Um, and because this this might be your answer. This is a really this would have been a good answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is illegal to throw a, a glove at a ball. Uh, it is uh, and the, this is the rules are interesting. These, the, the reason I'm answering this is because the rules are so quirky. Uh, it's if you deliberately touch a fair ball with your cap, mask, or any part of your uniform detached from its proper place on your person, uh, then it's a three base penalty. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you throw your glove at a ball, uh, a fair ball, it's a three base penalty. But then here's the twist. If you deliberately touch a thrown ball with your cap, mask, or part of your uniform detached from its proper place, it's only two bases. So if it's a batted ball, three bases. If it's a thrown ball, two bases. Same if you deliberately throw your glove at a thrown ball. So that's two bases as well. Hmm. So that's a good – in fact, the, the, 
correct answer to this might, from my perspective might actually be that uh, when I was a kid, I believe a teammate of mine was actually called for this because he scooped up his, uh, he scooped up a ball with his mask, and it was just like you know it was like a, I don't know it was like a squibber in front of home plate or something mm. like that. And, you know, it died. And so he went out there and sort of nonchalantly just he scooped it up with his mask like because mm-hmm. he's so cool. Mm-hmm. And the umpire, if I'm remembering this at all right, the umpire called him for it. And so this was like coaches would tell you this constantly for like the next five years. Coaches were always telling us about how this is illegal because we all remember that time that it happened once. I think I, I, I think I wrote a thing about that. When I was with the Yankees, one of the things that I did was I wrote these like memos for for coaches and and i guess minor league coaches also about little known rules uh which i've mostly forgotten that by now and i just kind of come up with a scenario where this thing could happen and go through the penalties and and what the person should have done i don't even know if they got sent out to anyone or if anyone read them um but i think <laughs> i think i did one on the the catcher's mask was it assigned thing. Yeah. Was this assigned to you? Or, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, it wasn't just me. Just <laughs> here Fair you go, guys. Answer. Yeah. No. Uh, I was so desperate to write something that I just started writing memos to everyone. No. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah I, so I think I did one on that, on the catcher scooping with the mask thing. My very favorite uh, weird rule that nobody knows about is that it is considered a balk if a. Uh, no, it's not considered a balk. Sorry. Let me rephrase that. If a manager or a uh, anybody on anybody on the opposing team calls timeout with the purpose of trying to get the pitcher to balk it is there's some penalty like it's a ball i think mm. uh, or no 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 he's i think he's ejected i think that it is an automatic ejection if you call timeout with the sole purpose of trying to trick the pitcher into balking. And that's such a weird rule <laughs> that uh, Jason Wojciechowski pointed out that this is where he wishes baseball was like uh, the law, the legal system, where you could then look up to see when when or if it was ever enforced. Yeah. Because uh, no, that call might have been enforced at some point. I'm sure it was enforced once if it's in the rule book. Uh, and yet nobody has any way of knowing. It's like virtually impossible to look up. I wouldn't even know how to look it up, and I doubt baseball has any record of it. Mm-hmm. So that's my favorite weird rule. Do you have a, a weird rule? Nope. You, you, wrote the, you literally wrote the memo on it. <laughs> yeah, I guess I did. I don't know. I got nothing. Uh-huh. All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, Daniel asks... Uh, I had a couple questions about the implementation of field effects data into gameplay. Do you think we'll see more extreme shifting than teams like the Rays and Pirates are doing currently? I'm not talking about the frequency of shifting, but rather putting six or seven guys on one side of the field for dead pole hitters, something like that. Um, and this is a good question. Do uh, Because for all the talk that uh, we've heard about how shifts are you know, increasing, we're essentially still seeing the same close to the same shift that has been in place since Ted Williams. So it's not, I mean, there has not really been a revolution in shifting so much as, you know, there's been a gradual um, appreciation of it. Uh, but you're not seeing really, really different looks. The cl- I mean, the right fielder is, uh, or the second baseman standing out deep is sort of a little bit new. Um, but do you think that there is room for creativity in baseball beyond that, or 
are we sort of just basically stuck with um, the same basic defense with you know one infielder pulled over one way or the other? Uh, I think there are, there are variations on that theme. I don't know whether there's something so incredibly crazy. I mean, there's there are only so many things you can do, really. Um, yeah. I mean, if you put, I don't know, if you put everyone on one side of the field, I do think that the hitter will adjust to that uh, eventually. Uh, there's there's a point for every hitter. I mean, there are certain hitters who are quite willing to drop a bunt down the third baseline or try to push the ball the other way and beat the shift. And there are other guys who say, no, I'm going to stick with my game and I'm a power hitter and I'm going to keep trying to pull the ball over the fence and no one, no shift can defend against the home run and all that sort of thing. Um, but I think everyone would have a breaking point where if you, if you really had a dead pull hitter and you just put everyone over there, I, I mean, I don't know. We've, we've seen Adam Dunn this season start, trying to go the other way and kind of beat the shift and Carlos Pena has done it in the past. And I think if it got so pronounced that, yeah, if it got so pronounced that what Daniel's suggesting became common, I think there would probably be some, some pushback to that. And, and maybe there wouldn't be a long window where it was actually that effective. Do you, you don't think it's possible that we're just not being creative enough that you and I aren't being imaginative enough uh yeah that's that's possible i i mean i think there are i mean imagine imagine being the guy who proposed leaving you know 65 feet unattended on the on the other side of the infield i mean Mm -hmm. everybody would have told him oh come on ted williams best hitter alive he'll just punch it right through there every time you Mm -hmm. couldn't get away with that or oh i'll just lay down a bunt bunting's the easiest thing in the world Mm -hmm. you know how how can you not bunt uh you know for a hit every time that it would have been laughed out of the, uh, I don't know, wherever you were. You would, that's where you would have been laughed out of. You would have been laughed out of there and anywhere else you attempted to go. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm sure it will. I, see, I don't know that field effects would make that possible, though, in, in a way that yeah, is not possible I now. I mean, I, I feel like it would it would make it would enable greater precision maybe you could you could pick an exact spot where someone should be standing or a precise angle where it would be the most effective for somewhere to stand whereas maybe you wouldn't trust the the batted ball data to give you that kind of precision uh and so you just would go for a a generic alignment for a certain type of hitter so i could see greater precision and and maybe more variation in where exactly people would stand, but I feel like if if something really crazy were going to be tried, it could be tried just as well now with the data that we do have, which doesn't mean that it won't happen, that maybe someone hasn't been creative enough. Yeah, the um, I think that one of the things that would keep uh, some of the more radical shifts from that, like if, if you try to imagine leaving left field vacant, um, well, then you're leaving open doubles and probably triples. And like what I think one of the things that keeps the shift from being consistently beaten by hitters who, you know, who, who could just lay down bunts is that you're only getting a single. It's not a it's not a high reward. It's a mm-hmm. you know, it's a reward. And I, I would like to see hitters try more maybe, but you're not getting a big reward. Mm-hmm. And if you started leaving places open in the field where there were doubles and triples available, mm-hmm. then I think you'd maybe would see. And I also think that it, for a guy like Dunn, 
it's probably actually pretty easy to hit a fly ball to left field. It's not that easy to hit a grounder to left field, uh-huh. uh, I think. I, I think that when you go the other way, it sort of creates a little bit of a natural elevation. You're sort of slicing the ball. I don't know. You're sort of getting it up a little bit. Um, and so uh, so I think that sort of limits what you can do with the outfield. I mean, the most it seems like the most um, the most likely thing that you could imagine would be playing you know five infielders for certain guys or playing four outfielders for certain guys mm-hmm. um and you know if you had five infielders you could still cover a lot of ground with two speedy outfielders um mm-hmm. and you know you could you could cut down a lot of singles but i mean you're basically you're taking out a bunch of singles and risking a bunch of doubles and triples and it's probably not worth it for that reason mm-hmm. um if you, I don't know if you could, I mean, a three, I guess a three man, it does seem like maybe better than, I don't know, maybe better than the shift would be a four man outfield, but you know, the ball's in the air for so long, most fly balls get caught as mm-hmm. it is. If, if it doesn't go out of the park, the overwhelming majority of fly balls get caught anyway. So mm-hmm. maybe that's not worth it either. Someone that has been done a couple of times that the two outfielders, uh, Thing has been tried a couple times at least this season. Someone posted in our Facebook group, uh, Ben from Texas, posted that the Astros did that. Uh, it was like a really crucial time. It was bases loaded, bottom of the ninth tie game. Uh, yeah, Sosha does that about four times a year, but yeah. only when only only with with the runner on third and you know four you know less than two outs in a walk off situation. Yeah. and a couple other people commented that the Brewers have done it too. They've been pretty aggressive with shifts. Um, Renicky. Yeah, yeah, I I thought Sosha guy. I thought uh, Daniel he asked a couple other questions that I thought were kind of interesting though. He also he also asked uh, if shifting helps and if it's important and if more teams are doing it then does that mean that players who don't have a pronounced batted ball tendency are more valuable Uh, and he also asked whether there would be a drop in the value of individual defense if players are positioned so efficiently that they are maybe asked to cover less ground i would think with the second one still probably not i I mean, it, I don't know. It seems like uh, it's possible, I guess. It, it seems like good range is something that would help no matter how well you're positioned. But I guess you could cut down kind of on the margins on the value of someone who has incredible range if, if you position a fielder so well that, that any, an average fielder would get to almost every ball, then uh, presumably that would decrease the value of of an Andrelton Simmons or someone who gets to everything, maybe. Um, and I guess I could kind of see that for the the spray charts thing too. A guy who doesn't have a pronounced tendency does he can't be shifted against really because he hits the ball over the field. All else being equal, maybe you'd rather have that guy. Maybe you would. Yeah. All right. Uh, Eric Hartman uh, asks, uh, he brings back up the, uh, maybe my favorite ongoing topic, maybe, uh, the, uh, the hot takes series, uh, the stories that would be hotter today than they were in the pre-internet, pre-Twitter, pre-all-of-this-stuff days. 
Uh, and Eric says, as I sat in synagogue this morning, a historical event that would have launched a thousand hot sports takes hit me. Imagine the reaction today to Sandy Koufax not pitching in game one of the World Series due to Yom Kippur. It'd be pretty wild if you ask me. I beg to differ. I think less wild today. It was wild. Was It was pretty. I think it was wild at the time. And, and I mean, at the time, uh, you know, anti-Semitism was like kind of just a normal thing, right? If I'm if I'm understanding Mad Men correctly, uh, <laughs> like there was not a cultural sensitivity like at all. Uh-huh. I feel like if it happened today, uh, you know, and it and it, and it does occasionally. Like Sean Green said, I had to decide whether to sit out of a pennant race game. I believe uh, maybe 10, 12 years ago, and it was there were some hot takes for sure, but. Uh, not that hot, not sizzling. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, furthermore... I think there's going to be one this weekend if I'm not... I think the Mets are playing a, a doubleheader on Yom Kippur or something. And uh, Josh Satin, Satin is uh-huh. is Jewish and there's he has to decide whether he wants to play or something. Um, yeah, not... Not, <laughs> not a, quite the well, same. Not quite the same. <laughs> no. But the other, the other thing about the Kovacs thing, if it happened today, is that Kovacs would have been in line to pitch three games that World Series. Today, game whether you start game one, two, or three, you're only in line to start two games. Nobody starts three, really, except maybe in an extreme, extreme circumstance. It would probably keep him may- maybe from being available out of the bullpen for game seven, as we've seen sometimes happen. Mm-hmm. But there's not a big difference between one, two, and three. There might be really no difference between one and two uh, at this point. And uh, I actually think that, like, the decision, I mean, Bochi last year started Barry Zito in, this is obviously for non-Yom Kippur reasons, but he started Barry Zito in game one, like, by choice. And uh, I don't know that you can do something that would be weirder than that uh, for your team, and yet, uh, you know, not a huge, huge deal, because game one starter is a little bit of an arbitrary thing these days. Mm Mm-hmm. Right? Game one starter, not as big a deal as it used to be. Yeah, I guess not. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, scrolling, scrolling. Where's the one about Justin? Uh, somebody asks, who's better, Justin Upton or Ander, and, uh, Adam Jones? Mm. I don't know who asked, but somebody asked that. It's a simple <laughs> enough question. Who's who's better, Ben? Uh, Justin Upton or, or Andrew, Adam Jones? <clears throat> Adam Jones? Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. Do you think that? Do you think that? Uh, I didn't. Is that I you? didn't just look up anything. I'm, that's off the top of my head, but. Um, but yeah, I think. That's my instinct. Is that a new position for you? Uh. Well, it probably wouldn't have been different last year, right? Because Upton was was worse, I guess, last year, um, yeah. and. Yeah, but you he was having a worse season but you still thought I mean he was Yeah, yeah but that dude was that dude was was hotly in demand this off season. I mean you we thought he was a big deal still, right? Yeah. Didn't we? Sure. Yeah. He yeah, potentially is still a big deal. Um he's twenty six and Jones is twenty eight, but yeah, um right now I would probably take I would probably take Jones, sure. He's I mean he's He's doubled the value of of Justin Upton over the last two seasons. He's never had a season, I guess, as good as Upton's 2011. Um, but yeah, sure, Jones for right now. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I agree. It's I think it's also I would say that for me it's as as recent as maybe the last six weeks mm-hmm. that I finally tipped over. But yeah, I mean Jones is basically the same hitter as Upton right now, and plays center field instead of right field mm-hmm. or left field. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I mean the the age. If we're talking about today, mm-hmm. that's one thing. If we're talking about the next three years, you might argue that Upton is heading into the peak years that propelled Adam Jones to a slightly higher level. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's not inconceivable. But, yeah, I mean, Justin Upton is um, – I think Justin Upton is moving into the the sort of, uh, I don't know, disappointment zone mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah. He's, he's, no, he's no longer young. He's not old by any means. He could still be – uh, he could still be a Hall of Famer, but he's not young. Mm-hmm. Twenty, he should have been good this year. <laughs> so that's all. Yeah, should have been better. Mm-hmm. All right, last one. Uh, runes, R O O. I was just gonna. I was just gonna tell you to to answer this one. All right, Runes says, I'm a sabermetric centrist. Here's my question. Why hasn't the sabermetric community embraced the quality start more? I can't even find it on Baseball Reference. And even though it's not a perfect stat, it has to be more tolerable than the win, yet still very palatable to the average fan. Keep up the great work. Wow, I can't believe I read that. <laughs> Why did you have never read a compliment in the history of email shows? I was in a, I was just sort of... <laughs> People in think a little that, bit of a reading zone. People think that no one has ever said anything nice to us in an email because we've never read any of those lines. Um, you, you, I have. Yeah, lines. I guess You'd I have. Love to read those, <laughs> those are my favorite. Yeah. Um, so the quality start. Yeah. You have a spreadsheet of those lines. <laughs> you just copy them. Some of them are bolded. Um, you filter. You filter them. By uh, I've never, keyboard. never been a big fan of the quality start it's it's kind of like it i don't know it's like it's a it's a compromise i guess sort of between the win and something else but there's always that something else so i i I don't know i'd rather i'd rather have someone use quality starts i guess it's it's more meaningful i suppose but um i don't know it's like if you want to convince someone that that the win is a bad stat to look at, then I don't know. You 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 wanna you wanna like give them the best possible stat and hope that they will then meet you in the middle or something. Whereas if you if you suggest the quality start as an alternative, then maybe I don't know. Maybe it's not different enough to to persuade them that they need to start doing something different. It's just I don't know. It's not the it's not the best thing that you could look at yeah it, uh remember how prospectus used to have i do we still it used to have like the support neutral record yeah like, we yeah we what, don't have that on the side been. anymore but yeah mm-hmm. that never caught on did it mm, christina carl used it i think that was that was about it that seemed like a that seemed like a nice a nice attempt that, yeah i mean it's intuitive it's it's on the same uh scale as wins everybody knows you know basically what wins and losses I mean, you know, it appeals to the same part of your brain that responds to wins and losses. Uh, so quality starts, uh, I think that part of the problem is that um, the quality start has never had a good answer to the sort of most common criticism. It, I think it's lost the PR battle because everybody at some point says, six, six runs and uh, six innings and three runs, that's a 4.5 ERA. That's yeah. not really very quality. Yeah. And and rather than, you know, point out, well, that's like the very 
that's the worst you can be. Though. That's not all of them. If that were all of them, yeah. then that would be a pretty damning indictment. But it's the worst. And it's like saying, well, geez, 324 feet. That's not a very far fly ball. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, if it's over the fence, though, it counts the same. You know, like we don't you 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 have a category of things. And, uh, you know, the quality start the outer edge of the quality start is not that impressive. But, you know, that it's it gets blended together. I, I think the quality start uh it would help if it were um, it, it's it's just one number you know it's like oh yeah 16 quality starts but it's not he's not 16 and 12 you know like you, mm-hmm. if it if it were uh, it, quality starts to non quality starts mm-hmm. i think that it might appeal to people a little bit more uh, i mean it doesn't really have any defenders on on either side really it's you see it used periodically but you know not with any real um consistency on on either end mm-hmm. i don't know it's it's not my favorite thing i mean it, i guess what it's trying to answer is a thing that i don't put too much stock in which is sort of like the particular distribution of your skill like to me i would much rather know that the guy uh you know produced six warp than that he produced it in a particularly consistent way which is what quality starts purports to answer it basically is a way of telling you not how good the guy did, but how reliable, uh, reliably he was at least okay. Mm-hmm. That's not really something I ever want to know. I mean, I, the idea uh, behind it is not useful to me. So if there is the occasional pitcher who has, um, you know, I don't know, like an ERA that's too low because he got bombed a couple times, but otherwise he's pretty reliable, you know, if, if I figure that'll smooth out mm-hmm. the next year. It's not a particularly relevant piece of data for me, so mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I just don't know that quality start is serving anybody all that much. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's too. It, the reason that the sabermetric community hasn't embraced it is just because it's not specific enough. It doesn't really, it uh, it doesn't get you the the precision that that statistics are generally going for. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Okay. All right. So that's the end of the show. We'll be back next week. Uh, start sending emails now. Podcast at baseballperspectives.com. Next week. We'll be- Wishful thinking. You think we're skipping the next two days? No. Wait, you mean, what do you mean? You mean, is, you mean we'll be back with another email show next week? Yeah. Yeah. We'll be back with another email show next week. But we'll, we'll be, be back, back tomorrow. We'll be back tomorrow. We'll also be back next week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was a true statement. And... Uh, the point is simply that we would like you to email us questions. <laughs> yes. We like we like them early um, so that we can look at them and think about them. All right. Yes. Uh, so Wait, we'll be back tomorrow. Did we give them the email address? We've... Podcast at baseballperspectives.com. Yeah. Okay. Don't, don't forget to rate us on iTunes. How's that? <laughs> is that good? Well, you forgot uh, to tell them also to review us on iTunes. Just rating is, is not that satisfying. Uh, and also subscribe. I think I, you've never said this, but I believe subscribing yeah, the, is a good thing too. It helps. It helps yes. other people find us somehow. Yes. No one really understands how iTunes works, but we we all generally agree that that people subscribing is probably a good thing. All right. All right.